killed my voice today, but you know what I believe? I believe coffee cures everything. Except arthritis, hasn't done that yet. But I keep trying, you know, and uh, so, so there's my coffee. I'd like you to uh, take a look at this slide. Here. Um, you've seen it before, in case you think, where have I seen that before? It's a knight on a horse. All we see is one eye. Uh, we see his armor plating. We, we see his sword. He's, he's ready to ride into battle. And we say, who is this person? And, and we don't know. But his shield tells us something about him. His shield bears an emblem. And often a knight would have on his shield the emblem of his king, the one for whom he was going into battle, the one for whom he was fighting. And, and a careful look at the shield tells us who his king is. His king is God. And at the same time, it tells us so much more. Because his shield tells us that his God is one God and three persons. This, this is a Trinitarian symbol, a very old and ancient Trinitarian symbol. Here's the same symbol from in, in a different form. This is from a stained glass window in some church, in which this church is declaring that the Trinitarian God, the Trinity, is their king. So you see it's, it's in the middle is God. In the upper right, you have the Son. Upper left, the Father. The bottom, the Spirit. Now let's go back to the, to the uh, shield again for just a minute. And you'll see how it works. Uh, back to the knight. Did the knight retreat? There he is. So the same thing. Left, top left corner, the father, top right corner, spirit. I mean, son, the bottom, spirit. The middle, God. The top, it says, that the father is not the son. Down the side, it says, the son is not the spirit. Up the side, it says, the, the, the spirit is not the father. They are three distinct persons. But then in the middle, you have God. It says, the father is God. The spirit is God. The son is God. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. One God, three persons. Now, it may be helpful for a minute to use some theological language. And, and again, this is language that has been used by the church for 1,500 years in trying to talk about the Trinity. One word is usia, it's a Greek word, and it means essence or being. It's a very important word in theology, uh, the essence of God. Uh, the second is hypostasis, and that's the Greek word that they use for people in this case. Three persons. One essence, three persons. Now, now, the way we use this word person is a little bit different than the way you and I use it. We use it to designate somebody that walks around and they can talk and chew gum and maybe not trip at the same time, but they're other people. In, in this Greek concept, it's a little different. A person is someone who is conscious of himself as I and then conscious of every other person as a you. So, and we relate to that, I then relate to you. Each person in the Trinity is conscious of himself as a person, 
an I. So the Father looks at the Son, the Father is I, and to him the Son is you. Now what happens with an I, you situation is we enter into relationship then. I meet you, you who are the I meet me, you. See, we get into a relationship. And that's what you have in the Trinity. You have this eternal relationship of these three persons relating to each other as persons. I, you. Now, does this sound dreadfully confusing? Don't, don't be afraid to shake your head because it isn't confusing. Uh, because the Trinity is, is something that's beyond human. And, and we hardly have any human words or constructs that can describe it. So there's a bit of confusion. So if you're confused, don't, uh, don't be apologetic, but don't worry about it, because sometimes I'm confused. What we can say with certainty, absolute certainty, is the Bible says there's one God. That's an argument. Number two, the Bible says that there's a Father who is God. There's a Son who is God. There's a Spirit who is God. One God, three persons. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, in Genesis 18, we, we see a story of God visiting the patriarch Abraham. Uh, and it's in Genesis 18, verses 1 and 2. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great tree of memory while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Probably like that today in parts of Africa still. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance to his tent and to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, or did it freeze there? Yeah, that's Mark Chagall. And, and there you have Abraham standing as the host and these three persons seated. Now he depicts them as angels because they're representing God. But that's not what the text says. It says God came to Abraham. But there were three people. What we would call this technically is a theophany. God appearing, making an appearance to people. Artists will often depict them as angels because God's angels are ordinarily the messengers between God and, and people. They come to people visibly to speak to people. In this case, it's a theophany, not angels. God choosing to appear to Abraham in a form that Abraham could see God, experience God, but in the form of three persons. Now, in, in this, I want you to look at this next one. This is a Russian icon. And it's been painted in a lot of different forms. I think this is Rublev, but I'm not sure. And, and it's called the Trinity icon, whether it's in this version or some other versions. It's the Trinity icon. And it has a very strong resemblance to the story of Genesis, where there are these three persons. And, and sometimes in this icon, they'll, they'll even have wing-like things on them, uh, kind of taking us back to that, that feeling of Genesis 18. Now, the three are seated around a table. And if you look closely at their faces, they're identical. The three persons around this table, in their face and their hair, are identical. 
absolutely identical every time. It's their clothing and their posture that are different. Remember, it's the Trinity icon. It's trying to help us understand the Trinity. So they're equal in, in, in their essence. They're, they're the same. Their, their faces are the same. But they're different. They're distinct. They're individual in their posture, in their clothing. Isn't that what... I mean, isn't... That, that's how we come to church, you know? We can pretty much predict how everybody's going to come to church dressed, you know? We can pretty much guarantee that, uh, you know, certain people are going to have a necktie and certain people aren't, and we know that. That's how we express our personality. It's just how we do it. It's not right or wrong. We're just all different. Uh, and sometimes you get a conflict at home when Anna wants to express her personality in ways through her dress that Wendy doesn't agree with. I'm a guy, you know, I'm saying, yeah, she got clothes on, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Uh, when he's more careful than I am. That's how we express ourselves. In their faces, we see their one essence. In their being, we see that, that, that they're identical. But in their persons, they're different. Uh, what, what we see in these Russian icons is that they're seated at a table. And it reminds us of the communion table. Let's go to the next one. You see the cup there in the center. That, that reminds us of communion, the, the Lord's Supper. And, and it's in the center. The, the idea of this icon, the way it's structured, seems to be that, that there are these three persons who are in this eternal relationship with each other. They don't need anybody else. They get everything they need. The three love each other. They relate to each other. But there's this open place in the table that invites us, you and me, to come and be part of that relationship. The icons are meant to teach. And this icon is instructing us. It's, it's telling us as the three are inviting us to come to them and be in relationship with them. Now today is Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday in the church calendar is, is the day in which we celebrate the mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God in three persons. Trinity Sunday always falls on the first Sunday after Pentecost, which was last Sunday. Trinity Sunday as a feast is, has been part of the church calendar for more than 500 years, but as a feast, it's over 1,000 years old. It's the only feast that I know of to think about this well, but not now. It's the only feast that I know of that is not related to an event in the life of Jesus or the life of the church. Christmas is, is a feast. Uh, Easter is a feast. Pentecost is a feast, not about Jesus, but about the church, the Holy Spirit coming on the church. Uh, what's the feast just before Pentecost? Somebody here has got to know the answer to that. Please, Jack. The feast before Pentecost is Ascension. Oh, thank you, Sharon. Ascension Day. That's always on a Thursday, so we don't ever celebrate it in church because it's on a Thursday because it's 40 days after Easter. It celebrates Jesus going into heaven. Trinity doesn't focus on an event. It focuses on a doctrine, what, what we believe. We believe that God is one and is at the same time three persons. Now, it's a mystery to us, as I said, but it's not a mystery like a mystery novel or a riddle 
You can solve a riddle if you're clever. I don't do so well with some of them, but if you're clever, you can solve a riddle. And if you're a great detective, you can solve the mystery in a novel. There's a solution. But for us, the mystery is, is not solvable. As human beings, we cannot get our head around how God can be one in three. We just really can't do it without getting into some kind of heresy. But it's not a, a mystery like a wall that we run into. Don't ever think that. It's more like an ocean that we can swim in. It is so vast that the more we swim in it, the larger it gets. You know, just, you're never going to get to the end of it. It is so enormous. The Trinity is a mystery that we will spend our lives in this earth's glory and never really reach to the end. Now, one of the great creeds in the church is the Athanasian Creed. Maybe you come from a tradition like I did, where creeds are looked down on as dead, words cold. Don't go there. A creed just comes from the Latin word credo. I believe. Creed is what we believe. Everybody believes something. Everybody believes something. The creeds of the church are, are carefully written, succinct summations of what we believe. This creed is essentially all of it a summation of the Trinity. This is what we believe about the Trinity. Now I'd like you to read with me this portion because my voice is going to lose. be gone soon. So read this first part. Let's read. Now this is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. Now let me stop there. I hope we don't get caught in this word Catholic. It's used here in the sense of universal, not in the sense of a denomination or group. This is the universal faith that all Christians share whether they're Roman Catholic, Greek Orthodox, uh, Russian Orthodox, uh, Syrian Orthodox, Baptist, Pentecostal, or even non-denominational like us poor people that don't fit anywhere. Uh, it, that's our Catholic faith. This is what we believe. But this is what's even more important than that. This is the essence of Trinity Sunday, right here. We worship one God. Trinity Sunday doesn't call us to understand the Trinity. It calls us to worship the Trinity. We worship the Trinity. Now back to the creed. Read with me again, please. For the person of the Father, whoops, that's quite good. For the person of the Father, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, and their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. Now Athanasius went on and on and on, it's a very long creed, but it's powerful, and, and, it's, and, it, and it affirms what we believe to be true on this Trinity Sunday. Now I want to go back to this earlier icon. It, it reminds us of, of God's invitation to enter in 
to this relationship of pure love that exists in the Trinity and, and has existed in the Trinity for all eternity. Now, now we long for love, but in our loving relationships there's always some ingredients that don't quite fit. Selfishness, ego, self-centeredness, need. But in the Trinity, it's all pure love. There's no self selfishness, no self-centeredness, no ego. It's pure love. And we're invited into that relationship of love. That sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds, it sounds inviting. We want to be part of that. Who doesn't want to be in a place where they can experience that kind of love? Because really, we don't quite ever get there in this earth. Our own, our own stuff gets in there. But go back to the Old Testament reading with me for a minute that we heard from, from Henry, Isaiah 6. The prophet Isaiah has this, yeah, the prophet Isaiah has this vision of God. He sees God in his temple, he sees God on a throne, and he sees these angelic creatures, seraphim, flying around with six-winged dudes, worshiping God by shouting to one another. I always thought it was singing, but I, I think the word denotes more of a shouting. They're shouting to one another, holy, 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 the earth is full of the Lord's glory. He was seeing the glory of the triune God. And these shouts of the seraphim were shaking the foundation of the temple. Now, now this, probably his vision would have been Solomon's temple. And you recall as we talked about some of those foundation stones weighed hundreds of tons I mean, this was, this was a massive foundation. And in this vision, the, the foundations of this temple were being shaken and, and it was full of smoke. And today we'd say, wow, what a, what a show. Well, this wasn't show. It's just reality. But let me tell you what else was shaken. Isaiah was shaken to his own foundations. And he said, it's all over, I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. That's that next slide. You see Isaiah. John, what's the next one? He says, he said, Isaiah says, I'm undone. I'm unmade. I'm uncreated. That, that's how shaken he is because he realizes his own sinfulness. I've become undone. Now, when a man or woman truly encounters God, two truths become abundantly clear. Number one, there is a God and it's not me. That's the first thing. The second thing is, this God is holy and I'm not. I'm a sinner. That was Peter's experience when Jesus called him to be a disciple. Jesus. It fished all night, hadn't caught a thing. Jesus said, cast your net off. Lord, we haven't caught anything all night. Why bother? No, cast your net out. He casts it. The boat fills up with fish. And Peter says, wow, Lord, that's really great. Let's do it again tomorrow. Same time, same place. No. Peter said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When we see God, we're going to see our own sinfulness. And as we see our sinfulness, we have to say, what hope do I have of ever entering into a relationship with this pure and holy God? How can I be invited to the table when I'm a sinner? 
But that's when God steps in and responds to Isaiah's brokenness. Then one of the seraphim flew to me along with the burning coal. That's the next slide now, Sean. He had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. You see, it's a blessing when in the presence of God we recognize our sinfulness. Because that's when God can come to us and do something about it. The gospel reading for today tells the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a guy I identified with. He was a Pharisee. I sometimes envision myself as a, at an AA meeting and I say, hello, my name is John Bodkin and I'm a Pharisee professional religious person. But the fact is, down the side, I'm a sinner. And the older I get, the more I appalled, appalled I am with my inclination to sin. I think that was Nicodemus. That's why he, I believe, in my opinion, only my opinion, I think this is why he keeps looking to see Jesus at night. He was embarrassed. He was full of shame because he saw his, his own sinfulness. He comes to Jesus for help. Jesus says, you've got to be born again. It makes no sense to Nicodemus at all. How can I get born again? How can I enter into my mother's womb? I think he understood exactly what Jesus meant when Jesus said, you've got to be born again. That's what he wanted. He wanted a new start. He wanted a clean slate. He wanted to wake up and feel innocent and not wake up and feel like a sinner. Who of us doesn't long for that? Who of us doesn't want that? That's what Nicodemus wanted. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be born again. Think about it for a moment. To be as innocent as a newborn child. They don't stay innocent that long. But some of my kids, I think, last a couple of hours. They don't laugh. I mean, I tell you, hey. Two of them in particular, you can tell right away that they're going to be a handful. But uh, don't we long to be truly innocent? Pure? And that's what we want. And that's what Jesus offers us through the work of his Holy Spirit. That's what he talks about when you're about being born again. Now there's one more word, and I'm going over time, so I'm going to quit. One more word I want to introduce you to, because it's a beautiful word. Perichoresi. You know the word? Do you know the word choreography? Choreography comes from the same root. Dance. Choreography really is a new word. It was developed by, I think, George Balanchine, the, the, the Russian, to, to mean the, the, the writing of dance. Chore, dance, graph, write. Writing dance. Perichoresi means perichoresi, so the S got taken off at the end. Uh, it's at the bottom. It just means to dance about, dance around. This is the word that some of the early church fathers used to describe the relationship in the Trinity. They are dancing around each other. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, dancing around each other. Why would the early church fathers use that peculiar word to describe the relationship? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. For one thing, when dance is done right, it's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, I, for 30, believe it or not, for 20, no, 
30 years I was a subscriber to the RWB ballet. 30 straight years. Because ballet is beautiful. It's this dancing, this moving. You know, maybe I should have spent my money on the jets or something else, but I didn't. But there's a beauty, a beauty, when people are dancing together. There's a beauty in the relationship with the Trinity. They are moving around each other. And, and when we're invited into a relationship with the Trinity, we're invited to join their beautiful, graceful dance. Let it sink in. You are invited to a relationship with the Triune God, who for eternity has danced with one another, the three in one, in beautiful harmony and love and giving. And you're invited to be part of that through Christ. We're, we're going to sing uh, a hymn in just a minute that's a, a new hymn to us, but it's an old tune that's sung to a tune of a Christmas carol so you can sing it easily. But, but these words are, are about the Trinity. And I'm just going to quickly go through the, the, the verses so you can see them before we sing them, so you're not singing them cold. Here within this house of prayer, Elam Chapel, all, all of us, our fathers love be fair. Love that gave us birth and planned days and years beneath the sand. Praise to God whose love and power bring us to this present hour. And the next verse is about Christ. Here tell earthly praises end. Tell of Christ to the sinner's friend. Christ whose blood for us was shed. Lamb of God and living bread. Life divine in truth and way. Light of everlasting day. Here may all our faint desire Feel the spirits, wind and fire, souls that sleep, the sleep of death, stir to life beneath his breath. May his power upon us poured send us out to serve the Lord. Here may faith and love increase, flowing forth in joy and peace from the Father, Spirit, Son, undivided, three in one. His the glory all our days in this house of prayer and praise. Let's sing this. And let's see if we can shake the foundations of Elam Chapel a little bit as we sing this uh, hymn to the Trinity. <laughs> 